Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. Hi, it's Demetrius. Hey, Demetrius, it's Mark. They're in. Nice. Taking it to the next level. Launching phase two of Gable Media on October 7th. 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 My name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each and every week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. This is episode 343, How to Build an Online Course with Sarah Collada of Architecture Masterclass. This episode of Entree Architect Podcast is supported by our platform sponsors. RCAT, the online resource delivering quality building material information, CAD details, BIM specifications, and so much more, all for free. Gusto, easy online payroll benefits, and HR built for modern small businesses like ours. And Monograph, the time tracking and project management tool built for architects by architects. Sarah Kodlata, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Welcome, Mark. Thank you very much for having me. It's great to have you here. Uh, we bump into each other constantly online. 
Um, I love what you're doing online. I, uh, I think I love your enthusiasm and your passion for helping other architects. And so uh, I really wanted to get you on the show here just to have a conversation about what you're doing so others can hear what you're doing uh, because I think it's an important project. But let, before we get into that, let me introduce you. Uh, Sarah Colada is an architect and digital strategist with a narrow specialization in vernacular architecture. She found her services to be in demand by companies globally interested in business possibilities uh, deriving from positioning herself as an expert online. She became an ambassador for digital transformation in the architecture sector. Today, she runs a training program called Architecture Masterclass, where she helps architects record profitable online courses. With this project, she hopes to encourage individual scholars, consultants, expert architects to develop an online presence and create online courses contributing to the creation of a global platform for online education and architecture. And so that's her mission. I love that, uh, Sarah. Um, and I want to dive into that, why you're doing it, why it's important to you. I know it's important and I want to, I want to have that conversation and to encourage others to sort of follow, follow the lead that you're, you're setting here. But before we do that, I want to do what we always do here. I want to know your origin story. I want to have you go back to share a little bit more about you. Uh, where did you discover your passion for architecture? What inspired you to become an architect? And how did you get to where you are today? Absolutely. Thank you so much for this lovely introduction. Um, so yeah, my story goes back to, um, I studied in London in Central St. Martins, and it was always a dream to go to that school. So I didn't think much. I just did everything to get in. Uh, it was quite tough and I was really young, but I made it. And about uh, two years in, I got an internship in Shanghai. So I left for a year and this is really where the true journey as an adult, let's just say like adult, uh, as an adult and also discovering myself as an architect happened. Uh, so I worked in an office downtown in Shanghai and I lived right in the center of Shanghai and we did like really, really big development projects, urban development. Um, and uh, there were big names that we collaborated with, but also uh, the scale of planning was just so grand that there was almost no attention to detail. Um, and it was really interesting because obviously the work was extremely inspiring, um, but it was the first time I lived in a completely different country to European countries. And, uh, and it was quite a big culture shock at a time. And every single day as I walked to the office, I actually passed this little square, which was all completely um, you know, covered by a wall with just one entrance. And it was very intriguing. What is this place doing there in the center of Shanghai? Uh, so one day after work, I wandered in there and I realized that there was a community living, but in really, really poor conditions. And, uh, yeah, I just, I couldn't understand why are they there? I mean, Shanghai is all like, you know, high rise buildings, a lot of business, um, everything's happening from, you know, incredible foodie places to, um, you know, this kind of low level, quite cheap places, cosmetic places, whatever. It's just, it's just great in terms of diversity. Um, and that one place that was just super, I just got really curious about. So as I inquired, I realized that they were actually indigenous people that used to occupy the center of Shanghai huh. before big corporations. Well, actually, I don't know even 
if it was big corporations that bought land from them, but someone did and sold it to big corporations. And then they just kind of scooped them all in that one place because I guess human rights wouldn't allow you to just like, get rid of them or whatever. So um, they lived there while business was developing around growing to, you know, 30, 50 story buildings around. Um, and there was, it was business like, you know, the headquarters of the BMW or massive banks and wherever you go, there's just their logos everywhere. And this is exactly what I was building when living in Shanghai. This is exactly what we're doing. We're doing this massive uh, urban plan scale development for big corporations. And if, if we, you know, integrated culture, it would be a museum or a philharmonic. It was that, that big of a scale of, you know, of planning. And, um, yeah, I was just baffled about the, the reality of how it all looks, because also starting in London, we were all very starstruck by all these uh, famous architects that would, you know, would show up at the AA or in the Bartlett. And we studied not so far from these schools. So very often I would go for lectures and meet these people. And, and this is what architecture meant to me until that moment in Shanghai. And so you know, we talked about green architecture sustainability, but not in these terms, not in terms of, for example, what happens with people that are underprivileged and like how, you know, what, what we, who helps them? I mean, what's going on? And then this other aspect came to mind, which um, made me realize that these people knew how to utilize nature to live out of in terms of survival, but also building. And as we came in to that land and just build this massive concrete and steel construction, that knowledge and the actual ability of practicing these technology of building that was like indigenous to humanity before industrial revolution just completely disappeared. And I just felt really touched by it. It was like the first time I was young and it was the first time when I was really disappointed in life. <laughs> and, and, you know, so, yeah, it's just, yeah, it was disappointing. And it, it, completely drastically changed my viewpoint onto my career and who I wanted to be. I no longer wanted to work for big names. I no longer wanted to actually work in architecture that didn't uh, develop conscious solutions for humanity. And so as a result, I started getting interested more in projects like um, what, um, for example, you know, I, I started finding new heroes like Anna Herringer or, or for example, um, what Ike Rothwag does in Berlin and, and people or Francis Karras, so people that are working with indigenous architecture uh, and close, close relationship with communities as well, not only preserving in the process of design, but actually bringing these really beautiful designs uh, into, you know, into this ecosystem of architecture and projects. And, and they're contemporary, they're not um, outdated uh, solutions. And so it was really fascinating to me. And uh, I started exploring concepts of humanitarian architecture. As a result to it all, after I graduated, um, I basically moved to Berlin just for a really short time and then moved to Guatemala where I got a job as an architect in a charity. And I started building schools and houses for, uh, for people. And it was great. I worked in, human, in, in humanitarian um, sector of architecture, but we still built with concrete and with steel. And there was very low awareness as of to the real culture and the real roots of the people we were serving. And the help was very much uh, kind of 
You know, if they're hungry, feed them. Don't show them how to grow food or catch a fish. Just feed them because they're hungry. So very simple solutions to problems, but actually these solutions always brought more problems onto the table and they were not real solutions. They were not sustainable. So that was the second time when I was like, you know what? I'm tired of this. I'm going to do it all by myself. <laughs> and by then I learned Spanish and I also um, met a bunch of really amazing builders in the era that were building with natural materials. Uh, and there was need in community all over. Um, so I just decided to register a charity and I reached out to some sponsors. We found money, we found volunteers and we started, started building and that's how it all started. Um, so I was doing it for, for about six years in Guatemala, mainly, uh, living there. It was really beautiful time. And there was, um, another architect, actually Randall, who was, uh, who's, who is, uh, a bamboo architect and I was learning from him, bamboo and earthen construction at the Lake Atitlan in Guatemala. And he was my mentor and really he's just an incredible, um, he's an incredible thinker. He's extremely creative, but also he would just build beautiful structures out of natural materials, uh, hotels, resorts, yoga retreats, um, private housing as well. And uh, it was inspiring to learn from this person. And honestly, no matter how much I've grew, he always knew more. And it was just, he's still the person that I call if I have a question on the construction site. Um, so anyway, time flew and we started building private projects with Charlie and, and I also built alone. And with time, I started going to a lot of events, natural building events, bamboo conferences, and kind of grew my network around that. And through this, um, and also uh, some workshops that we were organizing in natural building um, techniques in Guatemala and inviting people to join. They were traveling from Europe and taking courses with us. Um, basically, people started finding out about us as experts at the Lake Aritlan. And so one day I got a phone call from Mexico City from a company that built only um, residential and concrete buildings, but in the city of Mexico. And they had a client who wanted to build a gallery, which was all bamboo. And they were looking for an expert on bamboo because they never built with that material. There's a lot of bamboo growing in Mexico. They just didn't have the expertise. And it was the first time that, that I got hired as a consultant on the project. And I absolutely loved that experience. It was amazing. And I realized that if these people never knew that I'm doing bamboo, I would never have that opportunity. But also consulting um, on that project allowed me to be involved with that team and still be uh, a contributor to the design, but I didn't have, I didn't have to live there or I didn't have to take the full responsibility of the project. So it was just a great collaboration and another amazing project I could put on my portfolio from Mexico this time. And so I thought I was always focused on obtaining clients locally and, uh, you know, finding leads through word of mouth and, and reputation contacts, but out of a sudden there was a whole new way of collaborating with uh, other architects actually on projects, but also on their projects. And uh, and it was it was a whole new way that I understood business. And um, with time, actually, what happened was I started to um, realize that I wanted to scale up. I I really felt entrepreneurial by then. I developed already. Uh, you know, a team around what we were doing and I was hiring a group of people. We had builders we were training as well and we grew, but but there was no no significant growth in terms of scaling up 
to our earnings, for example, and also the outreach we could have at the community. So we were helping, but we didn't have the, the, the like we didn't have more donations coming. And so I started thinking, okay, I want to grow this business, but the traditional way of growing an architecture business is you either find more sponsors with the charity or you find more projects and then you recruit more people. And so it's kind of like an organic growth uh, and it's very much service-based. Um, so what are other ways of doing business? And this is where I took some time out and I went to America and I studied business actually. And for the first time I heard about digital marketing and a lot of techniques of essentially selling other things than just your service, that you are a full package as you come as an expert. And within that package, it's not just the service you provide, which is in our case as architects design, but also you're full of knowledge and expertise that comes from your experience as you develop, uh, you know, your, your expertise in, in practice. And, and that also has value. And to me, that was really eye-opening. Um, I thought that's amazing. We already were teaching natural building and it was our way of also tackling the concept of preservation. Now we can do it um, in a way that perhaps we could record courses on natural building. So how to build with bamboo, how to courses, how to um, structurally design with bamboo, which are more methodology related courses it's all like uh theory uh, and then also um you know physical location based courses where people can come and actually experience it and learn from masters and that all of a sudden just felt like it could apply to everything and so i started studying it and as i studied i took endless notes etc because i wanted to develop that for myself i thought okay now what i'm going to do with tribe lab is just record online courses and we're going to find experts like just like Charlie Rendell, who was my mentor in Guatemala and, uh, and have those incredible people that have this amazing knowledge in a very niche, narrow niche of architecture, teach it. And that can be beneficial, not only to people that want to learn this, but also to other architects that perhaps want to just expand their expertise onto these other areas. Right. And in a way it feels like we don't actually have that right now. We don't have this, availability to or these opportunities to actually go and learn new skills without taking internships and so um which is time consuming right and so yeah this is what i started developing and as i i started to call these notes i thought wow i actually want to call my mentors like charlie and other people that influenced my pathway and share it with them and that's where the idea came to record an online course on what I just learned. And I did it. I actually took my notes and I organized it into modules and recorded a course, a training program on it. And I invited all my mentors. Uh, some of them completed it. Some of them were too busy to complete the project, but uh, all of them understood the value of it. And that was a big win for me. Uh, and they, for example, now when Corona happened, some of them contact me and they say, Sarah, oh, we, you know, we wish we had that product now. <laughs> right. Construction, construction is on hold and, you know, we could just be selling training and yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, that's pretty much what, what brings me here with, with COVID. Um, well, right before COVID, I actually was working in film production, helping record online courses and also helping, uh, tech companies in Berlin, green tech companies with, um, with uh, recording, 
basically like advertising campaigns and and things related to um, like uh, yeah telling a story about their business etc. And we we were with my business partner also expanding to um, to help trainers record training material. And uh, with COVID, because that's another service-based business, we stopped. And I knew I knew all the tools. And I knew what will help me survive through this. I didn't ask questions how long this thing is going to last for. Are we going to be in lockdown? What is going to happen with business? I really did not think anything past one thought. Um, it's time right now for me to just get out there and start publishing because I know that this is what uh, gets your message out there. It helps you position yourself as an expert. And I lived that, um, that new philosophy already, but I haven't yet... Uh, started publishing and uh, yeah with the beginning of COVID pretty much the first week I think it was a day after we did the last shoot in Berlin I sat down and I started writing my blog and shortly after inviting experts for uh, for conversations just like this one and exploring topics that really interest me which right now is you know the transition of digital education and practice also from analog to digital so architectural education from analog to digital and it's just an incredible journey i've got to tell you um it's amazing because i'm meeting beautiful people i'm hearing so many amazing inspiring stories from all around the world i'm doing what i really love to do and i'm sharing that story which people are getting a little aha moments through and i i, I get to see it you know and i'm really enjoying that process and i'm hoping to help more people realize the benefits of actually not only intelligently position yourself as an expert, which what I really mean by it is, if you think about the way we introduce ourselves now, we always say, hey, I'm an architect too. And when you go on LinkedIn, everyone just says architect, architect. And if you want to get to know a little bit more about their background, you're going to have to have a look at where they work or their school. But after like, minimum of five years, every person in the world develops expertise, whatever they chose to do, whether it's in drawings or details or maybe engineering aspects of facades or certain technology of building or maybe an interest in green design, sustainability, education, whatever it is, there always will be something. And we never say I'm an architect specialized in dot, dot, dot. And I think that that would have an incredible effect on the way we collaborate with each other. And also it could open up doors to so much more, perhaps new even businesses within architecture, like new ways of collaboration, new ways of doing business. And so this is why I am where I am right now and I'm doing what I'm doing because I'm hoping that uh, as we talk about it and as people realize it and also start telling the story of their own expertise, uh, perhaps we can experience uh, new realities within the realm of practice as well as education. Sarah, that is that is exactly why I ask people their origin story. Because if I just came in here and we started having a conversation and say, well, Sarah does master classes for architects. And we dive right into why it's important. And we'll talk about that. And that's important. And, and, and that is very important. But when you hear your whole story, from the very beginning of how you how you started in Shanghai and the village and the people within the city and that sort of transformed you and your mindset was shifted and and then you went off and you went into you went to Guatemala and you built a a, a nonprofit there and then that sort of 
didn't work out the way you had hoped. And so you just decided to take it on on yourself and, be, and become a leader and say, OK, I'm going to do this myself and built this whole thing by yourself. And then that led to, you know, exploring more information and the knowledge that you gathered from that. And then you wanted to share that knowledge. And so you started doing this digital uh, presence and sort of to gather this information and be able to share it digitally to the world through the Internet. And that I, that's why I love the origin story, because that is such a great story. We will return to our conversation after this quick break to say thank you to our platform sponsors here at Entree Architect, Arcat, Gusto, and Monograph. Unless you're working for one of the top architecture firms in the world, you know what it's like to work with limited resources. But there's one resource that you can access no matter what size your architecture firm, RCAT.com. RCAT is the online solution for your building product information needs. They offer BIM objects, CAD details, specifications, and much, much more from leading manufacturers from all over the world. Research building products and get the information you need all in the same place, fast and easy. And best of all, it's free. RCAT doesn't charge you anything for these resources. You don't even need to register or give them your email. And when I say it's free, there's no catch. Visit rcat.com and try it out. Search for the resources that you need and RCAT will deliver. That's rcat.com. That's A-R-C-A-T.com. rcat.com. Build better. Taking care of your employees has never been more important than now. For years, Gusto's been helping more than 100,000 small business owners run payroll, offer benefits, onboard new employees, and more. They call it the people platform. And it doesn't just look nice, and it does look nice. It also works. Your payroll taxes are filed, deductions are calculated, and your team gets paid. You can even offer health insurance and 401ks as you grow. As a listener of the Entree Architect podcast, you will get three months free after your first payroll when you go to entrearchitect.com slash gusto. That's entrearchitect.com slash gusto. And make sure that you let them know that you're a member of the Entree Architect community. Gusto, the people platform. Visit entrearchitect.com slash gusto today. Are you tired of spreadsheets? Of using spreadsheets to keep track of your project plans, your budgets, your staff, your time? Spreadsheets, our friends, at Monograph know what that's like because they're architects too. They know all about that spreadsheet mess that you're dealing with. So they did something about it. Monograph is a time tracking and project management tool built for architects by architects to respond to the challenges that small and medium sized firms face on their quest to a profitable business. With Monograph's integrated suites of tools, you'll stay on track and on budget without the overhead of wrangling spreadsheets every day. Improve your firm's operations today. Try Monograph for free at entrearchitect.com slash monograph. Ditch the spreadsheets. Visit entrearchitect.com slash monograph and try Monograph today for free. Arcat, Gusto, and Monograph. Please visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. Uh, and I have some questions, actually a few questions. Um, you mentioned TribeLab and could you just, yes. can you go back? Cause that seems like the, the, the seed 
for what you're doing now. So can you talk about Tribe Lab and what that is and, and how that started? Absolutely. So Tribe Lab is the charity I registered uh, in Guatemala. And it's true, I just kind of went over it without going into detail. Uh, but uh, at that moment when I moved to Guatemala and I worked for another charity and I saw how unsustainable perhaps some of the solutions that they were providing to the community were, I thought, okay, we want to create a project that is going to be really based on concepts such as providing solutions that are really human-centered, solutions that will be economically savvy, and also to respect the environment. And what I really meant by it is, so one of the things that were really intriguing to me and that I saw to be a big problem, and I think it's a really big problem in the humanitarian sector altogether globally, is that mostly when you go to um, underprivileged communities and places that struggle, like let's just say rural Guatemala, a lot of money comes from the, the West, right? Specifically from America, if it comes to Central America. Um, so all the donors would be sending money from America and these companies would be spending that money in local building suppliers. But when you trace up the line of who owns that building supplier, it's gonna be some big American corporation. So these donations don't even leave the country. So how can you boost someone's economy by building a school if you haven't really invested in these people? Imagine if there is a village that has maybe, I don't know, 500 people and you build a school for them and you'll hire 40 of these people that are builders, but then that's going to help their families. But then the women will come and cook and the children will come and learn there. And you actually invest that money into that particular community by investing in their skill sets, by investing in their knowledge, ability to utilize nature, and also help them out a little bit to perhaps advance a little bit the understanding of how to do it properly, how to build properly, savvy to perhaps, I don't know, earthquakes or floods and things that happen in the tropics quite often. You can not only help these people be proud from their roots and where they come from because after all it's just a bunch of white people appreciating <laughs> their background <laughs> um but also but also you can actually economically boost that particular community and these projects are lengthy they're harder to um to do and there's a lot of politics with that so it's just easier to manage it on the on the corporate and company level where you receive the money as a charity, you spend it in the builder suppliers, you just make invoices everywhere and it's fine. Um, but if you hire local people and you, you, you build that business from the ground up, from the grassroots up, you can really have long, um, long uh, lasting um, influence onto that community that can really influence not by just providing education, but also educating something within these human beings that will stay with them forever. Like, like for example, giving them pride as to who they are and where they come from. Um, so they don't always feel like they have to chase the West because that's what development, like that's the kind of pressure development puts on, on them. Um, and, you know, there's this global belief specifically with, with within underprivileged communities that living in a mud hut or in their kind of natural built house is a sign of poverty. 
because it is if you compare it to a, a con concrete block house. But there's a lot of problems with concrete block houses if you look at how they perform in really hot conditions, for example. And also when they are built in places like that, they're built very poorly. And so that's not really the ultimate solution. It just is some kind of solution. And so if you're devoting your life and your energy to solving something, you might as well do it well, and you might as well do it in a way that it agrees with your values. And I think this is where, what we wanted to create with Tribe Lab. So essentially, we always try to build with communities. And the way we did it is we went to elders and we invited them to share their knowledge of how they built locally and then inv invited the youth to train from their elders but as we were engineers and architects we kind of facilitated that process and whenever there were discrepancies with for example building unsafe for the conditions or for any type of earthquakes or uh, or the climate then we would have provided that education and um, make sure that the buildings were compliant as well uh, and so, yeah, that was uh, that was really what Tribe Lab was. We were building with natural materials, not fully. Sometimes we had to compromise, but uh, but uh, but the compromise mainly happened because the community did really not want a natural build, and that's also fine. We had to respect that. So. Right. Right. Okay. And and that that topic is a topic all in itself that we could easily have an entire episode uh, all by itself. So. So, but I want to stay on on the topic of of, of uh, digital transformation and digital knowledge. Um, but I wanted to go back to Tribe Lab because that's part of the story of what led you to where you are now. Um, and I just wanted to clarify what that was. Um, the knowledge that you gained from that experience, um, you've you developed into um, event, eventually developed into this online course that you developed that taught other experts how to. Uh, leverage their expertise. Is that am I correct in that? Is that what that course was? That's right. Is that course still yes. available? Is that something that's still out there? This is so essentially like the courses I took to um, learn how to create online courses were in America. I was learning with um, with business experts and digital marketing experts. And the training program that derives from this is Architecture Masterclass, which is the program that right now I am teaching architects and promoting. Right. And that's so that's where I wanted to get to. The the Architecture Masterclass is what's happening now. It's what, what you're developing now. And the idea, from what I understand, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is to take the knowledge and the expertise that we have as experts, as 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 architects, as professionals, as engineers, as we have these uh, you had mentioned it earlier that once you sort of start practicing, you develop expertise um, and you can take that expertise and share it with others and, you know, uh, expand the knowledge base of of your your tribe, your world around you um, and make the world a better place through doing that. Right. By ex by um, leveraging your expertise, teaching others. Now they have that expertise very much the same in line with my philosophy of love, learn, share, care with one another, learn as much as you can, and then share it all with the world and the world becomes a better place. Very similar philosophy. And so, and the idea of uh, taking that knowledge, sending it out there in a profitable way. So now you can earn more profit, which allows you to, you know, to continue to develop your expertise, continue to, to uh, gain knowledge, and then again, create another course send that knowledge back out to the to the world and it becomes this cycle and especially now in this time of COVID-19 where many of us were locked down 
you know, our, our revenue may have sh- shrunk. If, if you had this additional income source, it becomes a, a, another stream of income that allows you to continue to develop your expertise as an architect or an engineer. And so I love that concept. So, so let's, let's dive into Architecture Masterclass. Um, what is it and, and, uh, and how do people sort of get involved? Well, first of all, what is it and why would architects, uh, our community of small firm architects, why would they uh, be interested in putting together something like this? Yeah, definitely. I think you, you really summarized it perfectly. It's, it's, the concept very much evolves around being an expert within the architecture industry. And we are, as architects, service providers, so we think about architecture and our services as design. Um, what, what essentially the concept of, evolves around is extracting your expertise and packaging it into a form of a course, which is a product. That product, once you record it, you put it on the platform like a membership site, and all you do is you sell login details to that platform, just like it is with Udemy, for example, or in, you know, Coursera or Udacity has courses. So, except that the difference is that you don't, I mean, you can put your course on the platform, but you can also develop a personal brand around your teaching. So you say, okay, well, we're an architecture firm and we're doing a specific type of construction, let's just say residential construction. Uh, And we're doing it in a certain region and we mostly work with certain materials and also a specific type of client. So this is where your expertise lays and you want to essentially teach that so that you can perhaps help other architects that want to develop or be really good at what you're doing in maybe other parts of America or other parts of the world, and they might want to learn your skill set, your expertise from you, but also they might be interested in a very specific in the specifics of actually how you design, how you think, how you run your practice, maybe which materials you use, what's the process behind it. And so within all the experience that you have running your practice, there will be certain points of knowledge that perhaps you're often being asked about or um, or you feel like if your younger self, maybe, uh, you know, a version of you from 10 years ago have known what you know right now, uh, you would have you would have led your life differently or your career differently. And that that aspect, that point of knowledge makes you um, of value to someone who perhaps doesn't have it today. And so based on that, you can create a course. And again, we at the program that I, and architecture masterclass we take you through the process of actually realizing really what your expertise is but also analyzing your direct um influence within the sector of your clients as well as other networks that you have in your life so that you understand who your clients are and who would be the the niche or the group that would specifically benefit from your knowledge because you might find that actually Someone who would benefit would be like uh, a younger practice than you, but it might have been also your local community that is always coming to you as an expert and asking a specific question. So except just being um, a designer that answers that uh, for free or supporting for free, you can package it into an automated uh, training program and essentially just say, hey, if you want to find out, then I have this course. And, you know, it can be anything. It can be one week long or it can be 10 week long. And then again, there is a lot of different ways in which you can package your knowledge. It can be just informational. 
Uh, you can get it certified if there is, for example, a way in which you can teach something that can be certifiable within your region. Uh, but you can also decide that it's going to be an implementation-based course. So, for example, you take a person on a true journey from uh, the point of not knowing to the point of knowing and being able to practice it. So, so being able to implement it within their own practice, life, design, um, design um, methodology, or whatever it is that you want to teach. And so, essentially, we help you understand who your ideal client would be and how you want to voice your expertise specifically to that person. Uh, and then you create the actual program based on that. Uh, and then you can market it again, very similarly, understanding your ideal client, ideal customer, their needs, and how your course or your training problem solves the, their, uh, their problem. Uh, so it's, it's exactly like when, you know, you want to communicate your design strategy and and what your practice stands for you have to answer those questions like what problems do you solve and what is the real value that you provide within your practice it's very similarly but now you do it around a product that you develop and what's easier about it is that it's an actually there's a lot of automated ways to promote it through social media as well as through um facebook ads for example where you specifically target your product to people alike your ideal customer and you create automated sales around it. So it doesn't happen straight away. It takes about two years for this to really grow. Uh, but once it's on a constant and if you're doing it well and you're learning along the way in the process of actually uh, targeting it to your audience, speaking the language of your audience and selling that product, you have essentially a parallel running business, which is a product-based business, not a service. And within that realm, you can always produce more products to your audience. So let's just say you have some customers that have onboarded with your uh, first version of the course. And then where, where do they go next? You can provide them with the second step and third step. So you can take them along the journey. You can teach them things that are similar and alike that are still within your expertise, but perhaps touching on a bit of a different point. And so this way you just nourish that community and, and your trade, um, the aspect of what you're trading is your knowledge. And so you nourish that, that community and help them grow with your expertise. So Architecture Masterclass is both the training program that you've developed to teach architects how to do this, right? To, to identify ideal client, how to develop the course, how to actually put the course together and how to market that course. Is it also the platform where all these courses come together? Yeah, so actually uh, I have, I have been a, in the middle of a conversation about this with some organizations that are starting to, to do that. We want to create a platform for architects that works like masterclass.com, but it's just for architects. Uh, it's a much uh, bigger project because it's actually a tech product. So here you have to think about developing an independent business model around a tech product and launching it in form of an app or a computer-based, uh, yeah, big library of courses. Uh, but we're in a process of it. I'm, I'm having these conversations. It would be lovely to have something like that just for architects. Um, but at the moment, I think that the concept of digitalizing knowledge and actually recording online courses is very fresh. And what's what i find to be a priority is to actually talk about this and to present this as an opportunity for architects to create resi residual stream, streams of income within their business but also 
to diversify a little bit and not see themselves only as providers of design services, but also build products around who they are, their brand or their knowledge, or actually themselves as experts. Yeah, I love that idea, and 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 I love the. I think it's very needed. This is this is a question that comes up in the community all the time at Entree Architect, um, of how do I take the knowledge and leverage it into a product that I can sell, um, and and gain some additional income through that. You know, you've heard the term passive income. It's not necessarily passive. There's a lot of active work that needs to go into it. But as Sarah said, that once it's developed and it's put together and it's working and it's in this this automated marketing system, it does become relatively passive. You still have to maintain it and update it, um, but it becomes this additional stream of income and architecture masterclass uh, is developed in order for you to be able to, to do that. Um, before we wrap up, Sarah, I wanted to ask you, um, the, the, I wanna talk about a little bit about the ideal client, and then I'll ask you the final question, and then we'll wrap things up. The ideal, the ideal client, um, is, is probably one of the biggest questions that when architects start thinking about, okay, I have this expertise, I have this knowledge, okay, I'm gonna put together a course, can I sell it to everybody? I mean, I have this knowledge, and can I sell it to both architects who may need that knowledge and homeowners that may need that knowledge if I'm a residential architect? How do you talk about ideal client with the people who take uh, architecture masterclass? Yeah, so it's a really good question. And actually, I've got to tell you the truth that my uh, ICP lesson within the module, the first module of the course is the longest lesson within the whole course. It's about an hour long because it really is the biggest question that you have to ask yourself when you're starting any business, especially if it's info product. Because with your info product, if you create that product and put it out there online and you don't know who you're selling to, you're probably not going to be successful. Yeah. Or you're going to have a lot of people that misunderstand what you created and buy into it and then be not happy because it doesn't um, really help them. So you need to really understand your niche. And I think that is a very, uh, it's a very tricky process because you have to un uh, ask a lot of questions and get to know these people well. And we go through it through a series of asking, asking really good questions about it and actually analyzing your answers and going deeper into it so it's like a workshop but also um there is a lot of methodology that i teach around it so uh one of the examples that i have in the course that i also heard from someone else but i think it's amazing um there is there's these two individuals that i introduce in my course and they're both dog lovers they're both over 50. uh they both are high profile figures and they both have uh happy are happily married married and you know, you think that that can be a demographic that can just, just explain exactly who your ideal customer could be. But actually, if you then I publish their pictures and one of them is Ozzy Osbourne and another is uh, <laughs> uh, Prince Carol. <laughs> so they're like two completely different people. You know, you have like this royalty, super serious man and then this like crazy rocker on the other side. And so we, in this old school way of defining an, an, an ideal client, we always used to look into demographics, but now you have to ask yourself questions really about their interests and um, what really triggers them and where do they go and how do they um, have fun and, you know, what things do they, what, what things do they look for in life? What are their ambitions? A lot of times also to understand what is their pain point? Like, 
where did they not succeed in life and what do they look to achieve still how do they want to navigate through problems and uh, especially career related because this is what we are let's just say uh, tackling when we are solving problems for infra products um what we want to teach them where do we want to take them and so all of those things is just like a really big workshop that we do and we try to analyze it in depth to understand that profile but also one of the things that i always tell my uh, my clients is you have to think of it as a repetitive process. You can't just do it once and build your business on it and never revisit that workshop. Because as you grow your business, you start um, to interact with people and you start refining your message as well as actually understanding better and better who these people are uh, that are reaching out to you more more often. And so um, it's really important to put a face and a name to that profile, not just have it as a John Smith, but literally you know, think of someone who was really grateful um, for your service and who you had a really incredible experience working with and also someone who really didn't mind paying you for your services and try to build that idea based on your best customer ever or maybe your ideal customer you would want to work with. Because one of the really important things that I love to mention uh, is that your ideal customer will always uh, be keen to pay you for your services and they're not going to be um, underappreciating you uh, for who you are as an expert or service provider. So it's really, it's, it's a really interesting topic and there is a lot of things that can be shared. I'm really happy to do a workshop on it whenever Mark, you wanted to, or if, you know, I'm, I'm super happy to um, do a presentation. Uh, because I looked into actually ways in which it's, pre it's presented in business studies um, to define your customer as well as in tech um, and and also design services. And I think that uh, the workshops that I run are actually helpful. But again, it's something that needs to be revisited. It cannot just be done once because um, as you grow your business, you, you will define your message and also you will define your concept of who that ideal customer is. Yeah, I, and, and that module alone sounds valuable, valuable all in itself, because that's, you know, whether you're marketing your architectural services or whether you're marketing a, an online course, ha, understanding the process of identifying the, the right ideal client, what is your ideal client uh, or your ideal customer uh, is a skill that you need to learn as, as a business person. So um, that alone is, is interesting. Um, so Sarah, before we wrap up, what is one thing that a small firm architect can do today right now to build a better business for tomorrow? That might be an obvious question <laughs> at this point. Yeah, obviously. Um, <laughs> first of all, go to your LinkedIn and change the name architect into architect specializing in Very and make sure advice. that your description ex explains what you're doing and who you are. And, you know, don't be shy about finally letting it all out there and say, you know, hey, I've always been interested in this and this is what I'm really good at. And uh, and even if you um, you think that maybe your client won't understand what that is, the terminology that you will use around it, like a facade expert or whatever, um, there will be other people in our community that will, and that can help um help you actually develop relationships and maybe even further business with people. So there is business within our, our community. We don't have to see ourselves as um, competition. Um, so yeah, definitely do that. And then look into ways in which you can actually um, 
uh, create a product out of your expertise and slowly develop this other residual way of, of, of creating business. Her name is Sarah Colada with a K, K-O-L-A-T-A. The website is architecture-masterclass.com, architecture-masterclass.com. She's very active on social media. So just search up Sarah Colada pretty much anywhere you'll find her. She also writes a great uh, blog on Medium. So go to medium.com. Again, medium.com, search Sarah Colada, you'll find her. Sarah, this has been uh, an inspirational conversation, uh, an important conversation, uh, and a conversation that many of our members here at Entree Architect are constantly asking for information on this. So I appreciate you for coming here and sharing your story. Fantastic, our origin story. Uh, so we understand where this came from uh, and for sharing your knowledge uh, here today at Entree Architect Podcast. Thank you so much for inviting me. Thank you, everyone. You have been listening to Entree Architect Podcast, episode 343, the link to share. Right now, entrearchitect.com slash episode 343. That's the link to the show notes. That's the, the link to listen. That's the link to uh, subscribe. Please share that link with a friend, entrearchitect.com slash episode 343. If you're not subscribed and you're just going to uh, the, the website every week, I would love for you to subscribe. So go, uh, go to any of the platforms where you listen to podcasts, iTunes, uh, Google, Stitcher, uh, Spotify, we're there everywhere. Go subscribe in every single one of them, right? Because that helps get the word out too. That that will let those platforms know that there are a lot of people listening to this podcast and it will share it to other architects throughout the world. So um, share the link, entrearchitect.com slash episode 343, and then go subscribe to the show everywhere that you can. I'd appreciate that. Entre Architect is proud to be part of the largest most engaged AEC multimedia network on the planet, Gable Media, curated thought leadership for an audience dedicated to building a better world. It's my way, it's our way of, of sharing the knowledge that the AEC community has with the rest of the world, right? With people who care about the planet and want to build a better world. That's what Gable Media mission is. Uh, and we love for you to be part of that. Uh, Entree Architect is part of that. I'd love for you to go listen and subscribe to Entree Architect and all the shows at GableMedia.com. That's a great way to connect with this show and all the shows. GableMedia.com. That's G-A-B-L Media.com. GableMedia.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening and thank you for supporting our mission at Gable Media. Be well, my friends. Be healthy, happy, safe, and secure. Thank you very much for listening today. Love, learn, and share what you know. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like, how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris 
owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like, us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There's a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> and so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like, that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.